Wow, look at that pigeon. I've never seen a pigeon like this. That pigeon is cool. <laughs> Let me introduce myself properly. I'm Kusiyan, also known as City Girl in Nature, your host for Series 3 of Get Burden, supported by Canada Water. I'm picking up the mic after Season 1's My Rose Craig, also known as Bird Girl. I think that is a Dalek that you can hear calling right now. And Season 2's Strictly Come Dancing winner, Hamza Yassin. I love the idea that pigeons are singing, I'm not your pigeon. It reminds me of the Yellowhammer singing, little bit of bread, no cheese. If you're new to the show, welcome. And if you're a long-time listener, welcome back. We want to open up bird watching for all and make nature more accessible to everyone. People think about you have to be in the middle of a jungle or something. But in fact, being in the middle of a concrete jungle is often even more satisfying because you are finding things that people didn't know were there at all. And you can do that in your own neighbourhood. Over the next six episodes, I'll be talking to some big names who love birds as much as me. Like actor Alison Stedman. If when you're choosing your clothes, you want to know what colours go together, look at the birds, because they never get it wrong. And novelist Jonathan Franzen. It was as if this world that I've been walking past for years was suddenly visible to me. We'll be exploring everything from how birds can inspire us artistically to how birds nest and raise their chicks. We'll also be covering some really important issues, like how to stay safe when you're out birding alone, how we can make the conservation industry more diverse, as well as what action is needed to protect nature. We need more people who care about the natural world because they've got that connection with it to save it. We'll be featuring some guided nature meditations from therapist, DJ and radio legend Namon Metaxos to soothe your spirit and calm your mind. We know that birdsong has a positive effect on our mental health and well-being. And it might actually be easier to pause and allow a bit more space to hear the birdsong and appreciate our natural surroundings than we think. Catch the first one at the end of this episode. And as always, we'll have plenty of tips and advice on how to get burden, no matter where you live or how much experience you have. In this first episode, we're focusing on birds in the city, which is a subject very close to my heart, because I am city girl in nature. City Girl in Nature, that is an initiative that I created off the back of going to the Peruvian Amazon for three weeks with the British Exploring Society and experiencing nature in a way that I never had before. Whilst being in the Amazon and spending three weeks surrounded by green, basically. So many different shades of green, actually. It just kind of put me in this different space. First of all, I didn't have a phone. I was with a bunch of strangers, people from what I felt like a much different background to me, middle class, white. But as time progressed, I realised that these strangers would be my lifelong friends. And for me, being in that environment with them, that had a really big impact on my perspective, 
of the world and of myself, most importantly. It transformed me and I'm now able to try to give that back to other people and let them know the importance of connecting and reconnecting with our natural world. By doing this podcast, I really, really would love to learn much more about birds and also share some of my own experiences because stories is what connects us all. We're all interconnected and that's what brings us together. I think that I had an inbuilt interest when I was born. I didn't have a mentor. You know, I was born in Northwest London in an area that, you know, had immigrants, mostly um, Jamaican, West Indian immigrants and Irish immigrants. You know, there was no reason for me to be interested in birds. You know, my mum was great because she she's a bit confused why her son suddenly had this interest in birds. But she kind of helped me when she could because she didn't have much money, but she got me books occasionally. And she also bought me my first ever um, pair of binoculars. But I kept it going all my life, you know. So I think it's destiny, to be honest, Chris here. I'm really pleased that my first ever guest on this series of Get Burden is David Lindo, also known as the Urban Birder. David, for me, is like the goat of burden. <laughs> he hugely inspires me to get out burden, especially living in an urban environment. I'm David Lindo, also known as the Urban Birder. And I'm all about trying to connect people living in urban areas with nature that's around them, but through the medium of birds. We're quite similar, right? I'm city girl in nature. Exactly. So we're kind of on on the same kind of mission, I suppose. We need more people like us on that mission. Definitely. So in the city, what kind of birds can you even see other than like pigeons typically? Well, the thing is, I mean, many people... Birders included, and especially in the past, never thought that there was anything to see. But the thing is, there's been over 620 different species recorded on the British list, of which I would estimate 85% have turned up in urban areas. So anything could turn up anywhere at any time, and that's been proven. I mean, there's been some species, for example, a, a thrush from Siberia called the Nauman's thrush has only been recorded once in Britain, and that was in Chingford in East London. You know, so the interesting thing about cities is that even though there is a lot of concrete and glass, there's also pockets of habitat. These pockets still attract species. And I've seen this so many times when, you know, I'm at my local patch in London, Worm and Scrubs, for example, and it's autumn or spring and you get a bunch of warblers coming through. And sometimes I see more warblers, more chip chaffs, more, you know, lesser whitethroats in that little area than my friends do in Norfolk. And part of the reason for that is that the habitat there is expansive, you know, so they can kind of get lost. Whereas in cities, it's more concentrated, so things collect. And the other great thing about being in an urban environment is that a lot of urban birds are very habituated to humans. So it means that you can get closer to them. It's all about keeping an open mind. It's all about if you get the chance to find a patch or even just watching your garden or local park, you'd be surprised as to the number of birds that you actually see. Is there any other secrets to 
get in a good patch or go to a good place to find good birds? Not really. I mean, you know, good places could be anywhere. And I think for me, I think it's all about discovering new areas, discovering places that you can call your own. Um, like I did with Wormer Scrubs. When I first started going to Wormer Scrubs, no one went there. I remember seeing a green woodpecker. Wow, it's my first green woodpecker here. You know, it's just great. It's actually better for me than going to see a rarity that someone else has found, just your own bird. I think urban areas is one of the last frontiers. People think about you have to be in the middle of a jungle or something. But in fact, being in the middle of a concrete jungle is often even more satisfying because you are finding things that people didn't know were there at all. And you can do that in your own neighborhood. You know, and that for me is an amazing Amazing thing to do. I thought you. Equipment-wise as well, is there any sort of equipment that you would say you need when you're getting out started with birdwatching? Well, I think you need your mind, body and soul. You need uh, to keep all those open. Um, you need to, you know, to keep your eyes and your ears open as well. Yeah, a pair of binoculars is always a good thing. Nothing too expensive to start off with until you actually know you really want to do it and then maybe save up and get a good pair of binoculars that will last you a lifetime. And also a field guide. It's always good to get a field guide if you really want to take it further. You know, with birds, just like nature generally, it's good for our mental well-being and stuff. Why do you think a connection with the natural world is important to us as humans? We need to connect um, for our own sanity, our own health. You know, it's important that we connect and a lot of us aren't i think one of the main reasons and this is one of my sort of bugbears is the fact that in the uk in fact in the world nature is sold to us in a certain way broadcasters like the bbc are, are sort of presenting us with this image by only a few voices maybe three or four voices which are predominantly white middle class middle-aged and i think regardless of your color creed or race you're watching this in your inner city home and thinking this ain't me, and you switch off because there's no role models. And and also there's no, I think it's important that they talk about wildlife in urban areas. So you've spoken a, a lot already about the lack of diversity and burden. Could you tell me a bit more about how that impacts you and how can we change this narrative? So my my view is a bit different, I think, because people talking about micro-racism and micro-aggression and all this sort of stuff. Um, which I'm not saying doesn't happen, of course, but I I never really experienced that in the birding world. I have always felt very welcomed. I've always felt as if it was part of my family almost. Um, maybe I was being naive, I don't know, but sometimes it's like when you walk into a hide or even like what happens to me now, I walk around in Eastern Europe and people are looking at me because I'm a black guy walking around with a pair of binoculars and they don't see that stuff, you know. It's not because they're racist, so how has it impacted me? Well, I'm I'm sad, but I'm sad more because um, I don't see many people of colour getting involved because sometimes they feel straight away that they're going to be ostracised or, you know, it's going to make them feel uncomfortable. And, of course, I want to try and change that. You know, I see myself as an ambassador, not only for people of colour, but also for birders and also for, for humans. But I just, again, going back to my point I made earlier, I think the very people putting out all this whole vibe about nature, I mean, the people like the BBC and all those guys, you know, they're not actually, not really encouraging diversity as far as I can see. 
They're not encouraging diverse voices. All of us are individuals who have our own stories, who have our own knowledge that we can be imparting. I feel very strongly about that. And I think that's where we need to be challenging all this stuff. I do agree that we need to have more voices and more people, diverse especially. I've got one more question to finish off with. What would you say to anyone listening who feels a bit daunted about getting started? What practical advice would you give to them about how to go out and get burden? You don't need to know anything to start. I didn't know anything for, for several years before I kind of, you know, really started learning about the names of birds and stuff. I think it's more about, it's more of a spiritual thing for me. I think it's all about just being out there and and being glad to be alive and actually saying, oh my God, I didn't see this before. This is a great looking thing. What is it? I wonder, you know, and then one day you find out what it is. I, I think there's a lot of pressure these days. Um, and I think the wonderment sometimes is gone because you, you, you feel embarrassed. You feel like you need to know, you, you should know what have you. And I think you need to get back to the basics. You need to just have wonder, you know, be like a kid, ask questions and take your time in learning. There's no time scale. You don't need to know a certain amount. And you make some really nice friends as well along the way. And I think it's a beautiful thing to do, especially with like-minded people. Thank you so much, David. Well, thank you for having me. I've been very happy to be a guest today. And by the way, I think you're doing a great job out there, you know, trying to get, engage people. You know, I really respect you and I find you an inspiring person. Likewise, I find you so inspirational. <laughs> so thank you once again. Just keep looking up. Where I'm at currently with bird watching is I'm an enthusiastic birder. I like to take my time out to try to teach myself, but also just take in the type of different birds that I might notice. And sometimes it's not about knowing what they are, but just observing them. But then also learning some facts about them. So I'd say, yeah, I guess that's what an enthusiastic birder is. If you live in the city like me, I'd say you can still watch birds from your window if you live in a flat like me. You can still discover local parts, woodlands, green areas, wetlands, and still bird there. So my advice is look on the maps on your phone or arcs around because nowadays there's loads of community gardens allotments and stuff like that that you can find birds but you can also arcs around and you know don't feel shy coming from the background i have i grew up with a lot of traumatic experiences growing up in southeast london as you can imagine there's poverty and being marginalised as well as a black South Asian young woman who likes football <laughs> uh, was an interesting experience growing up. And for me, I was a young carer for my grandmother who had Parkinson's disease and Alzheimer's. So uh, I was helping my mum care for her with her dose box, etc and she later passed away, which was sad. And then two years later, my auntie was murdered by my uncle and my 
cousins were also injured in a house fire, which is seen as an honor killing. And two years later after that, my friend was stabbed and he died, which was really sad also. Um, I actually knew one of the young people involved in that. And for me, at that point, my mental health went into overdrive, as you can imagine. <laughs> and yeah, from that point, I was then homeless a year later in like 2016. And life was really tough. <laughs> my mental health wasn't in the best space at all. I didn't know how to process all these traumatic events that happened so close together and didn't feel like I had the emotional intelligence to help myself to heal. But being able to get the opportunity two years later in 2018 to go to the Amazon completely changed that for me. And it gave me another opportunity, I suppose, to go down a pathway that was always meant for me. <laughs> and nature has facilitated that healing process and overstanding of myself and my life experiences. When you're out in nature, it gives you a space to just let go. There's no judgment, there's no restrictions. There's so much happening. When you just get that opportunity to not think because I feel like we're always thinking we need to think or we need to be on the go or we need to know nature facilitates a safety net I'd say it gives everyone a space where they can just be whoever and whatever they want to be and it's wonderful it's beautiful I'm in awe at nature all the time so, yeah, we just all deserve to be able to heal and to live a life of abundance. And that's why I do City Girl Nature, so other people can feel inspired also to do it within their own lives. Birds are really found everywhere in the world, from the top of Mount Everest to the middle of the ocean, hundreds of miles from land, to the middle of Manhattan. It means that anyone can become fascinated by birds, no matter where you live. Once you get interested in birds, it's almost like unlocking this secret world around you that a lot of people don't even realize is there and don't pay attention to. And once you clue into it, it's something that will be with you for the rest of your life. Our next guest is someone who knows a lot of birds that can be found in your backyard. But he's also a birder who's traveled far and wide. Check this out. I'm sitting here on Ross Island, Antarctica with about a quarter million penguins. I haven't bathed in two months, I sleep in a tent, and my only communication is by satellite internet. In 2015, Noah Stryker went on an adventure of a lifetime to try and see as many of the birds on this planet as he could. And he broke a few records along the way. I went through 40 different countries on all seven continents to see how many species of birds I could see on planet Earth in one year. 
and I ended up seeing 6,042 bird species to be exact, which was kind of cool. It was the first time anyone had seen more than half of all the birds in the world in one year. For me, it wasn't all just about the listing and the numbers and the checking things off aspect of it as much as using birds as a type of currency to connect with the world and, and literally, you know, see the world one bird at a time. It's so hard to pick favorites because what I really love about birding is the diversity of it. Oh, I don't know, maybe getting eyeball to eyeball with a cassowary with its two chicks was pretty awesome. Cassowary, if you don't know what it is, it's like a sort of an ostrich-shaped bird that lives in East Australian rainforests. It's like five and a half feet tall and uh, looks like a dinosaur. It's got this big helmet thing on top of its head and pink wattles hanging down off the blue skin on its bare neck. And <laughs> People sometimes say it's the world's most dangerous bird because they do have this like sharpened central toenail that can disembowel you on the spot if they so choose. But it was pretty amazing to just hang out with this uh, cassowary there. And I only got to see it because a very nice man was like, well, you can come on over to my backyard and I'll just show you this one that's been hanging around my house. So that to me is is the great allure of, of traveling and birding is is these kind of amazing connections that you can make and, and not even necessarily plan for. When I first set out on the whole trip a year before, I think my worst fear was that I would get burned out and just... I hate birds, the one thing that I love the most in life. <laughs> By the end of a year of doing it to death, you know, nothing else every day for 365 days. And that was a real fear for me. But in the end, it was rather the opposite. It was like hard to stop. <laughs> so January 1st, after the year was over, the next morning, I mean, I was in this amazing spot in India with these gung-ho birders. So I got up at 5 a.m. that morning, even though the big year was over, and went birding. One of the things I love the most about birding is you can go to far-flung destinations and search out rare and exotic species that you've never seen before. Or you can watch birds right at home in your own yard and still enjoy them even after you've been around the world like I have. But I think that's where most people start. And that's where I would recommend starting out if you're just getting interested in birds. I would start out close to home. If you have the usual suburban type of backyard, then I would recommend, first of all, trying to minimize the amount of lawn you have. So uh, shrubs and trees that provide cover and where birds can forage for insects and where they can maybe find some fruit later in the season. Those are all good things for bird habitat. If your yard is much smaller and all you've got is a balcony, maybe if you're in North America or anywhere in the Western Hemisphere, you could try putting up a hummingbird feeder that takes up virtually no space and hummingbirds will be attracted almost anywhere, especially if there's a couple of flowers maybe in a planter as well. So there's interesting birding to be done even in urban areas. I wake up in the morning and slip outside 
and I do a lap around and just see what birds there are. And that is so centering and relaxing and a great way to start the day. (laughs) Feeling like you are connected to nature is a way of feeling like you're part of something greater than yourself. And as humans, I think many of us need that on some kind of fundamental level. Knowing birds really helps you connect into that whole system and feeling. And I think you will you'll have that appreciation and awareness forever after you realize that we are living in the bird world as much as they are living in ours. Currently walking around Southwark Park in South London. I grew up locally to this area and my experience of nature growing up was not like now at all. I would only go out in green spaces, mainly to play football on a Saturday or Sunday. But other than that, I wasn't really getting out in nature much. I wasn't always a nature enthusiast. I had to learn, I suppose. Once I started to establish a relationship with nature and build that connection back, because I feel we all come from nature, but we have to sometimes reconnect with where we are originally coming from. For me, nature just awoken something in me that I didn't necessarily feel like was there. It really gave me an opportunity to be myself, to be patient, to see the little things that get overlooked daily, (laughs) like life itself, waking up every day. It really, really made me appreciate those things. And your whole perspective on the world changes. And that's what I've found. I'm no longer focusing on the hustle and bustle of the city, but I'm now tuning my frequency into birdsong. Just a different frequency and a different life, I'd say. Living in the city, I'm always on the lookout for spots where I can experience nature. Not far from where I live in South London, at Canada Water Dock, a new development is underway that aims to bring wildlife back into the city through wetland habitat. So I went to take a look. I'm David Mooney. I work for London Wildlife Trust. I'm director of development. Uh, I'm from London. I was born and raised in North London. I still live here. Very passionate about London and, and, and bringing wildlife to London. So we're currently standing on a wee bridge, <laughs> but we're looking across at a building site. And also the most important part of which we can see right in front of us is a beautiful wetland that's being developed. Because this is Canada water, right? This, this dock was built to bring timber from Canada. Yeah. So it's actually, we're quite far away from the Thames, but these docks are connected to the Thames or were connected to the Thames. So this dock was built over 100 years ago. The timber was brought in here. 
and then so anyway the dock ceased to function as a dock and you know it no longer had an industrial purpose and in the 1980s it was basically the, the vision was let's make a wetland let's create a, a an artificial habitat and it was really good it was award-winning but then the dock lining the the walls of the dock yeah. failed so it started to leak oh, no. and so the water level went down mm-hmm. and the wetlands that was produced or created dried out so now it's a secondary woodland okay. basically a scrub mm-hmm. rat infested covered in litter what we're going to do is fix the dock edge yeah. to stop it leaking mm-hmm. so that this wetlands project is about halfway through as we plant out the the plants in in november if you put wetland plants in water it goes crazy so there'll be the flourishing wetlands here in in a year's time and even more flourishing in two years time so what kind of plants and um habitat might be living here okay so like let me just be completely clear this this isn't an actual natural wetland we're in the middle of london this is a dock right so this is something called biomimicry we're mimicking habitats that you might find in a natural environment so we are going to be putting in reed bed then we're going to be putting something called a wet woodland so it's a woodland that's wet (laughs) trees there are tree species that like to sit in standing water willows alders that's going in the middle so you're about to walk through the wet woodland because there's a little uh, bit of boardwalk going through there as well. And then to the south uh, west corner of the, the dock, we're going to be putting in a wet meadow. That's where all the dragonflies and the butterflies you'll find will be all enjoying that. And then right in the corner, we're going to put a, a, a dipping platform, a circular dipping platform, pond dipping. Remember, you know, everyone's done a bit of pond dipping in their, in their time, right? Not me, but... but yeah, <laughs> Not enough people have done pond dipping in their time. Yeah. I, want to, I want more kids to be able to do pond dipping. What type of animals might we find on this wetland? So the reed bed will have reed bunting and reed warbler will come and visit. Now, the amazing thing about reed warblers is they... They migrate, and they're actually a West African migrating species. And then they come over here for the summer. Hopefully, we'll start to see some amphibians come, so like frogs and newts and toads. Um, And fingers crossed, we'll get some kingfishers. How will they actually thrive as well here? So they'll thrive because we put the habitat in. So because we put the right plants in, Mm -hmm. and because we designed the the wetland in, in the right way to mimic their natural habitat, insects will arrive and those insects will attract birds because birds like eating insects <laughs> and butterflies like taking the nectar out of flowers so that there'll be an ecosystem that's created i can see that this is going to be a really really good kind of space also for the community as well for me which is so so important this is it 100 percent. i wouldn't be here if this you have to pay to get into this yeah i don't do anything you have to charge to get in Nature should not be something you have to pay for. Mm, Nature is our natural inheritance. Mm -hmm. We shouldn't be selling our natural inheritance to the highest bidder. Because when you live in London, you don't have a connection Mm -hmm. with wildlife, with the natural world. You have a connection with um, manicured amenity grassland at best, Mm -hmm. you know, in a park. And connection with the natural world and connection with biodiversity in wildlife and being part of it, feeling as if you're part of it, mm-hmm. changes the way you think about the, the, the natural world. 
And especially if you're a young person, if you've got that connection and you understand it, then when you grow up, you'll know it's important to, to restore it and save it. Definitely. In a couple of years time and maybe three years time, you just come and just immerse yourself in it and you will understand. This place over time will have you at hello. That's almost the end for this episode of Get Burden. But before we go, it's time for a few moments of calm and mindfulness. We've been talking a lot about the healing and emotional power of nature. So we're going to end with a little guided meditation from DJ and therapist Namone Metaxas. Hi, it is Namone here. I'm a broadcaster, DJ and integrative psychotherapist. And I'm joining you and Quizia here for us to take a moment's pause. These are mini meditations designed to bring our awareness to our surroundings, taking a few moments to tune back into your body and your mind and to possibly find a bit more space. We can often feel squeezed that we don't or it's difficult even to find the time to make space. And the space we can find internally can often translate to finding space in the real world, in our physical environment, which in turn can positively affect our mental health and well-being. So wherever you're listening to this, walking through the local park, sitting on the train, at your desk, take a moment to seek out your nearest patch of grass, glimpse of sky or pool of water. Perhaps it is the local park, the patch of scrubland that you walk past on the way to the train station, the speck of cloud you can just catch as you look up out of the window that you've got your laptop in front of. Maybe it's a glance at the canal or river or pond that you see on your way into work that you walk past every morning, but you don't necessarily notice as you look up the weather on your phone. So what can you see? And listen. What can you hear? Hum of traffic? Children screaming in a school playground? The pound of the drilling in the building works down the road? And then what? Perhaps the faint sound of birdsong. To see if you can take a deeper breath in in this moment. Noticing any areas of tension in your body. And just that, noticing, not judging, trying not to judge. Then when you've taken enough air into the lungs, Notice the pause at the top of the breath and begin letting all the air out of your lungs. Continue to deepen your breath, bringing your awareness to your breath in this moment. And remember, this might not be the best time for you to pause. It might not feel comfortable right now. So just notice that and try again not to judge it. And when your mind wanders, as it inevitably will, to that drill in the distance or to the conversation on the next bench in the park, just see if you can bring your attention back to your breath, breathing in and breathing out. And keeping your ears open to allow all your senses a bit more space. What can you hear as you breathe in? Birdsong, traffic hum, chatter of conversation. Just let those sounds accompany you in this practice of just taking a few moments to tune back into your body, 
see what you notice. We know that birdsong has a positive effect on our mental health and well-being, and it might actually be easier to pause, notice that, and allow a bit more space to hear the birdsong and appreciate our natural surroundings than we think. So take a moment when you can. And I'll be back with you in a few weeks' time with another Get Birding-focused mini-meditation. You've been listening to Get Burden, a peanut and crumb production presented by me, Kusio, also known as City Girl in Nature. Get Burden Series 3 is sponsored by Canada Water, imagining a new district for central London. My producers for this episode were Anand Jagatia and Jesse Lawson. In our next episode, we'll be talking about babies, baby humans and baby birds. In a bit.